Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie, it's you, Jamie. Don't be alarmed, but I think there's a guy following you. Maybe we should get that guard dog we talked about? Nothing too scary, maybe like a Bichon with an attitude? You know, Progressive's collision insurance covers injured dogs and cats at no extra cost, so... Wait, the guy stood up when I stood up. He's on the phone. He's looking right at me. Oh, wait, it's just my reflection. Don't tell anyone about this. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Pet coverage not available in New Hampshire and North Carolina. Locked on Bucks presented by BrewHoop.com. Frank Madden and Eric Name. We talk Bucks every day, even when there's three off days coming. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I wish uh, I wish we had had a win last night to talk about so that we could really get into the hyper-positive spin over the next few days. But uh, still a lot of positives to talk about, Eric. Um, and uh, I, I, don't, I don't mind uh, celebrating some of those things. And I thought today we could maybe talk about the big themes of the season thus far. And I dare say that the big themes of the season thus far have been generally positive ones. Um, and, yeah. uh, you know, I think, I think the, the one we have to start with is around Giannis Adetokounmpo. And you mentioned the other day, like, you know, Giannis played Paul George. Giannis outplayed Paul George. Giannis played against Nick Batum in the opener. Giannis badly outplayed Nick Batum in the opener. Um, pretty much every game up up until Harrison Barnes of all people. Uh, and granted, he wasn't you know matched up with him head to head all night. But uh, up and until he didn't that play game, twenty seven of the forty eight minutes to start right, the game. Right. Right. Um, I mean, other than that. Uh, Giannis pretty much gets the better of, of everyone, and I'm I don't know. I mean, are we surprised by this anymore? Uh, I mean, my reaction the other night was yes. Um, not that he outplays people, but that it's come with such regularity, and it's come even on nights when things aren't going particularly well for the team. Because um, there's been times where the Bucks aren't playing great and. The opener against the Hornets, I wouldn't say the Bucks played great that night, and Giannis still just destroys Nick Batum, and uh, I'd say Batum did a pretty admirable job, and we're to that point with Giannis where we're commending defenders for playing well against him, but, well, he still went off. <laughs> um, and, like I, like, I thought Batum played good. He, he was denying him up and down the floor, and he was kind of taking the Bucks out of their rhythm because Giannis wasn't able to initiate as much offense. And, yeah, he still got 30-plus that night and still played very well. So um, it's becoming less surprising by the day. Uh, after that Pacers game, like I said, I wasn't quite prepared for us to be able to say, yeah, he outplayed Paul George. And, again... I was talking about it on Twitter tonight. The Pacers are are broken. Um, they they're in a a, a bad <laughs> spot right now, uh, and again that might help contribute to that a little bit. But for the most part, it was Giannis versus Paul George, and I mean the the perfect symbol for Giannis getting to Paul George was Paul George going for a Giannis pump fake with four minutes left in the game. <laughs> He's got he got to you. If you're going for that pump fake, he got to you, Paul George, and you weren't quite sure how to stop him. Uh, and we're trying to do everything you could. So, yeah, this is it's pretty insane to see him 
do this on on a night in night out basis and it was just funny today looking at uh matt moore tweeted out kind of the basketball references side by sides of like 11 or 12 of the top guys this season and he said all right here's pretty much what the top guys have done thus far this year and Giannis was one of the 12 guys on that list and uh when you think kind of about the company that means he's in it's it's staggering. Uh, Giannis is the the youngest guy out of any of them. Obviously, he's had least time in the league. He's the one that you would think would be furthest behind any of those guys, and yet there he is, and he's he's putting up those same type of numbers. So yeah, it it's staggering. Yeah, and even after the you know the bad game on Sunday, and and obviously guys are going to have clunkers from time to time. I mean, his first real you could say bad game um, in in seven uh, contests this year. Uh, the numbers are are still twenty one point one points, eight point four rebounds, six assists, one point nine steals, one point nine blocks, um, three turnovers. So you know this is turnover ratio only only two two to one, but um, true shooting fifty seven percent. You know he's only shooting twenty percent from three, so that's you know still kind of that like X factor. I think. I think mentally a lot of people still can't get over the fact that he's so ridiculously productive and impactful while not being able to shoot from the perimeter reliably. And I mean, in some of these games, we were mentioning it. Sometimes he's not even, you know, he's, he's not even like trying to like shoot jumpers. I mean, you know, certainly in Dallas, he, you know, he definitely took some and um, that contributed to a a bad shooting. I think he was four out of 12 from the field. But um, it's kind of interesting because, you know, a lot of guys go through this phase where they have to chuck and be inefficient. And Giannis can basically still be efficient and kind of experiment, <laughs> take more threes, um, kind of work out the kinks in his game and not really hurt his team. And I think that's the, the thing that is so impressive is not only is he putting up these numbers and, you know, if you do the basketball reference search on those numbers I mentioned, there, there's nobody who's put the those you know at least those numbers and all those categories you know even if you take away steals nobody has put up all those points assists rebounds and block shots at once in a single season i mean he is um in a very <laughs> unique company in terms of being able to do all those things and and be that kind of all-around player and that's why you know if the bucks i think are anywhere near 500 i mean i i can't imagine even if his you know even if his scoring average dip below 20 um, he does so many things that I can't imagine him not being, um, not deserving an all-star spot. And, um, you know, we're talking about a guy who is still, you know, a month away from being 22 years old. Uh, and I think the other thing, you know, beyond the raw numbers, cause we saw the raw numbers last year and we saw the hints of, you know, his lineups being really good offensively. But I think that's the thing that is most encouraging, well, not most encouraging, but, but the, the sort of other side to, the impressive individual stats is how massively he helps the Bucks when he's on the court, and you know, seeing that he is you know plus nine point three points for one hundred, that is you know excellent, um, and that the Bucks are not just plus nine point three, which ironically is second behind Miles Plumley on the team. Miles Plumley is not plus nine point seven somehow. Um, but what was the stat you said? How many of Miles Plumlee's minutes are with Giannis? Miles has played 103 minutes. 90 of those 103 have been with Giannis. 
Yeah. So, and this is what, um, you know, if, if in the, uh, you know, analytics of, of real plus minus and stuff like that, this is where, you know, you would have a hard time teasing apart Miles Plumlee's um, <laughs> impact, or you would think, except we have this other data, which I think is, is very helpful, which it kind of blows away, um, you know, the nominal, com- you know, comparability of their, their on-court ratings, which is that when Miles Plumlee is off the court, the Bucks are outscored by two points per game or two points per 100 possessions. So they're, you know, they're, they're below, um, you know, they're, they're, they're below the break-even mark. Okay, so, well, that's, that's tangible. But Giannis without, you know, the Bucks without Giannis are minus 14.5. So the difference between Giannis on and off is almost 24 points per 100 possessions, which is just massive. And, and I think really speaks to, um, you know, how huge of an impact he has uh, and, and how important he is to this team and why he, you know, is clearly making the leap. And, um, you know, I looked at... I think you know a lot of people might remember last year um, he had a had a pretty quick start. He scored I think twenty plus in his first uh, three games, and I think last year there was that sense of like, oh, this could be you know the leap last year. And I think a couple big differences there were that you know he wasn't point Giannis. He wasn't the ball wasn't in his hands so much. Um, he was much more off the ball. Um, and if you look at the numbers, I, I just pulled them up in his first seven games last year. 18.9 points, 6.7 rebounds, 1.9 assists, almost three turnovers, 0.7 blocks, 1.3 steals. So the numbers were um, were well below where they were, um, or the numbers last year well below where they are now. Um, although he did hit uh, 43% of his threes oh. on four attempts in the first seven games last. That that that's probably the thing that worries me most with Giannis is that. You know, there's really not an obvious trend here of improvement, and I'm glad he keeps shooting them. But um, I don't know. We'll see. I'm I'm not holding my breath. Yeah, I think some other interesting things with all of this is for the last week, the the Bucks obviously were at home on Thursday and Saturday in pregame and postgame sessions. I've been trying to get Jason to try to say something about his impact and. I keep trying. It's just difficult because, like you said, the number there were there were some numbers there last year, and after the All Star break, there were numbers as well. And I'm just trying to find a way to see if he can describe how that impact is is now more meaningful, more tangible, and not just empty numbers. And because I I do think to an extent some of the stuff he did after the All Star break, there were some empty numbers in there. There there was some assist hunting there there was some feeling that, okay, this is a fun experiment, but who knows how real any of this is. And I never got the feeling last year when Giannis was on the, on the floor that, oh my God, this is, this is one of the best basketball players in the world right now. And he is exerting his will on every facet of this game. And you've started to feel that with him this year. And I think, again, it, I'm sure there were plenty of numbers that would have pointed to a massive impact with Giannis after the All-Star break, but I do think there is something that's more of a feeling at some point where you're just understanding that, oh, wow, he is he is dominating this game. And there's been times throughout this season where you, you can actually feel that. Um, and I do, I do think it's different since the 
that post All Star break, Giannis, do you feel the same way when you're watching the game, or is that just me being crazy and maybe seeing something maybe I want to see? No, I, I think, and it started a year or it started last spring, right after the All Star break, where the ball was in his hands and and it game in and game out, um, and not that it was every game or, or to the, maybe to the extent that we've seen it here lately. But uh, you do feel now that that he is the best player on the court most most of the games and the most yeah. impactful guy, um, and the you know the fulcrum of of everything the Bucks do, and in many cases on both ends, especially offensively, obviously. Uh, and I do think it's interesting though that uh, he hasn't really had to bring the ball up the court. It's been much more kind of LeBron like. Oh, they've pondered where, on that. Yeah, and and I mean I think it's a little academic. Um, you know, and I always I mean again. We, Ooh, we I disagree debated completely. Well, I'll say this: I think it's good in the sense that he's not after the after the first game where you know Batum was pressuring him. It kind of underscored that if you're going to force Giannis to be the guy bringing up the ball against you know ball pressure, for instance, you're going to end up tiring the guy out doing something that you know Delavadova can do, and you know let Giannis at least take off that portion of of the game, and you can easily. Just give give him the ball, yeah. uh, you know, when you get across half court. So um, it is different. It is different, but it's not like funk. It, you know, it's not like different in the sense that he's somehow marginalized from the offense or something like that. Correct. That's one hundred percent what I was going to say. And I do think when we talked during the first week a little bit, and I know I put it in some recaps, and I, I think we brought it up on a couple podcasts was that you're giving him such a massive workload that you do have to figure out and try to prioritize things that are important and are not important. And having him be point Giannis is cool. Um, having him be the point guard, bring the ball up is fun, but it's not necessarily something that's necessary. And when we were talking about the pace and it not moving, well, part of the reason was we had Giannis walking the ball up. And as I said in this podcast, I didn't necessarily blame him. Like <laughs> When he's asked to do so much, that's probably pretty low on his priority list. And now it's Delhi bringing the ball up more often. Uh, it's Brogdon bringing the ball up more often. And they're getting the ball to Giannis immediately. And one thing I mentioned today on Twitter was that they're doing it through dribble handoffs. And I think it's working really well. Um, and it's a very easy way to get Giannis moving downhill and do a lot of different things with him. But they figured out that him bringing up the ball doesn't mean anything. Like it's not necessary, and yeah. he can still do all the things you want him to do. He can still create. He can still find assists. He can still initiate the offense. He can still be the point Giannis that you want him to be. And like you said, bringing the ball up is completely academic, but it is something that they needed to figure out and kind of move away from. Yeah, and especially because so many Bucks actions begin with you know entry passes to a big man at the elbow or you know, on the, on the wing kind of extended depending on how, how much the defense is pushing out, you know, being the point guard who brings the ball up the court, there's really not a lot of glamor in that a lot of the time. Um, and the idea that, you know, Jan, I mean, I'd much rather have Giannis be the second guy to touch the ball when he's the one who's then going to be initiating the primary action versus, you know, bringing the ball up and then throwing it to Plumlee or Monroe and then, going to set a screen on um on you know Delvadova coming off from the corner you know when you're running that kind of like triangle-ish action that they run the push series stuff I mean you know it's like well whatever that it doesn't mean really, anything yeah it doesn't mean anything like I want Giannis you know like you said dribble dribble handoffs you know 
simple stuff. I mean, I think when we, you know, again, this gets back to the conversation we had with Brett Coromenis, and I feel like we we reference this conversation a lot. But you know, like don't don't be overly contrived with these actions. Like don't take two passes to get to you know the start of a push series. Like just get into it you know, get the ball into your playmaker's hands and get on with it. And, and, you know, again, you know, every second you waste of that shot clock is going to inevitably lower the likelihood that you get a good shot and get a shot that you're going to make. So, um, I think that transitions nicely into the second big, um, trend and, and general positive thing we've seen, which is that, uh, you know, we had this podcast, uh, at the beginning, I think, we, I guess we had a couple actually before the season, and it was about, you know, the Bucks talking about, okay, yeah, now we're going to finally shoot more threes. And the first three games, they didn't shoot more threes. And we said, <laughs> the Bucks are doing the same crap that they did last year, uh, where none of these guys look like their brain is wired to shoot threes. They don't want to shoot threes. It's a begrudging thing. And how do you break them of this? Because you're just, you're never going to have uh, a modern, effective offense in today's game. By, by having that mindset. And that is the thing that has um, flipped uh, the most in the past week plus that we've seen. Even in the loss to Dallas, they didn't make a ton of threes, but they took a lot. And as we've been banging on that drum, that's important. And they've been playing with better pace. Um, and, and you know, I think just generally, I, I think the tempo has, has dramatically turned after those first few games. And um, I think certainly, you know, that's to me the big question moving forward with this offense is, you know, can they continue to do that? Will they continue to be um, dedicated to shooting those threes? And um, I thought maybe the most telling sequence uh, in the Kings game was less than a minute in. Uh, Giannis, Tony Snell, and Tony Snell took three triples in the span of nine seconds. They missed all of them. They got no points on the possession. Uh, And Kidd even, I think, after the game, kind of like... I was a little actually I didn't like this because he kind of made it sound like all all they wanted to do was shoot threes early like it was a bad thing yeah um, but I think I mean I think he then like allowed for like well it was like you know in rhythm and they were open and okay fine but that I thought was really telling because um, that that's the kind of mindset that I want to see you know Tony Snell if you're open shoot it granted he hasn't shot well so far but um, you know historically he's been a decent three point shooter and if he's open he should shoot because that's what he's out there to do. And I think Giannis as well. If he's wide open, just don't don't screw around, don't hesitate, shoot it, and um, hopefully that's something we see going forward. And hopefully that you know helps unlock this offense in ways we didn't see last year. Yeah, that yeah that quote you're talking about post game was was pretty funny because you could tell it was just like he had a, a general amount of fear that oh man, or maybe it was pre game in Dallas. I almost feel like that he he talked about it where he was just like. Man, a little fearful there that we were going to get out of control, and you could kind of, you can kind of imagine why he'd be fearful or maybe uncomfortable with the style of basketball that they've played. They're, they're shooting two times as many threes as they did last season, and that's a that's a significant change. And the journalist in me tells me there's a reason why that change was made, and I'm desperately trying to hunt it down and figure it out because it's night and day from those three games to the last four, and. I just desperately want to know what made that change finally happen. Uh, because I can't imagine the instructions were all that 
were the I guess were the instructions different from the first three games to the last four games? Were they the same instructions and guys finally got it? Did someone blow up and say, "All right, guys, you got to shoot it"? Like, did bees go off and say, "Hey, guys, you got to take my attitude and like actually get some shots <laughs> up"? Like, I'm fascinated by it, Frank. And I, I, for the life of me, I can't figure it out, and I don't know why it occurred, but I'm. Total, well, totally fascinated by it. Well, here's here's one hypothesis, and and again, I'm not I'm not saying this is like the entire reason for it, but um, what was the one thing that changed with the Milwaukee Bucks, basically at the start of the season, compared to even the preseason? What was the one thing that that roster thing that happened? Snell MCW. Yeah, and and again, I, I'm not. This isn't to like lay blame for. Bucks unwillingness to shoot threes on MCW, but um, you know when your backup point guard slash you know last year for a big chunk of the season your starting point guard doesn't shoot threes and he's on the court with you know Giannis who doesn't shoot threes and he's on the court with Jabari who doesn't shoot threes um, that you don't shoot threes uh, and you know I think with him uh, playing a major role regardless even if he was coming off the bench I mean that that matters you know um, and it's not to say that. You know, Brogdon is is shooting, you know, tons and tons of threes, and um, you know he's like, you know, Seth, or Seth great. Well, he probably would be more like Seth than Steph, but uh, but you know, it's not to say that that Brogdon is some you know complete uh, massive change, but you know, again, Brogdon was probably going to play regardless, um, and Brogdon per thirty six is taking three point two threes. He's only hit twenty three percent, so Brogdon hasn't been good, um, but it's one less guy in the lineup. Who, who doesn't shoot threes, um, and Snell is averaging you know six point six attempts per per thirty six. And you granted he isn't shooting well either. So you know, I think that's why you know if you look at the numbers, the Bucks aren't shooting well from three point range. They're only thirty two percent, but they are shooting a lot. And I, and I do think it puts pressure on the defense, especially because a number of these guys who maybe aren't shooting that well. I mean, there's still guys that you're going to come out and, and defend. I mean, defenses, you know, unless unless it's a big guy like. A center doesn't want to come out and challenge at the three-point arc, but like guards and you know wings, like they don't want to just hang back and not challenge shots. Like that's yeah. not how guys are wired. But so why did he only shoot three threes in his first appearance and two in his second? Like that's what I can't get over. Is why it happened with the fourth game when Tony Snell shot nine threes. Like uh, th- that's why I'm just so fascinated by it because. It was once the season had started, like the Snell trade already occurred, different things had happened, and then just one off day last Monday on Halloween, and then all of a sudden, starting last Tuesday, jack them up bucks. Like it, it's so so fascinating to me. And well, there there is one other guy. I mean, uh, the man that Aaron Johannes begged to just shoot it. <laughs> um, I, I mean. It, this I think this is actually really interesting. I mean, if if you just you know are doing the accounting of, you know, who has hit three pointers for the Bucks, he has led the Bucks in in, sh- in threes per minute, right? And he yes. is just behind Toledovich in terms of total threes. He's got almost double the number of threes of the third ranked guys on the team. Snell and Delvadova have seven threes. Rashad Vaughn has become yeah. a you know, legitimate NBA player. I don't know if he, I mean, he doesn't really do anything other than shoot threes, but damn, 
if you hit 43% of your threes on high volume, like Rashad has done when he's played, that makes a big difference. Yeah, I was going to say, when you had approached me with this idea of, let's talk about stats and things that stand out to you, one of the things that was going to stand out to me was Rashad Vaughn shooting 43% from three. It's it's significant, and I know there's, I think, what, four of those came in garbage time against the Kings the other night, and sure, you can try to take that away from him, but again, he played plenty of garbage time last year and shot 29% from three. So, uh, yeah, I would agree. That, that would be another thing, too. Uh, it, it's just interesting that the... The Bucks are shooting so many threes, and like you said, when you're thinking about storylines, I think the two major ones this season are Giannis taking the leap and the Bucks actually shooting threes. I think that's the story of the season thus far. Yeah, and and Vaughn, I mean, you have to give him credit because uh, he, I mean, without Rashad Vaughn, they don't win their their first game of the season, that the, the Brooklyn game, their first win. They win that by two. He scores 22 points, hits six of 12 threes. And some big ones. Yeah, and and he hit, you know, four of eight in the win uh, over the Kings. And, you know, one out of three in in, uh, New Orleans, so not not a big impact. But granted, they won by four points and he scored five. So, you know, I mean, these little things matter, right? I mean, Rashad Vaughn had a PER of four last year and he's at almost 16 this year. So um, being a guy who just chucks and actually makes threes is is a huge thing and uh you know again i think for this team overall uh, having you know rashad vaughn of of this year rather than rashad vaughn of last year who was you know unspeakably bad and a big negative that that makes a big difference and you know not having you know having Toledovich instead of uh, you know job and guys like that i think that on the margins makes a huge difference in addition to obviously a guy like Giannis sort of taking that leap and i think that's how you know the you know, it's sort of like it takes a village to replace Chris Middleton. Um, you know, you're not gonna, you're not really replacing Chris Middleton, but Correct. you can at least sort of compensate a little bit. Um, the one guy that we haven't talked about, so let's maybe just make our last point. Um, I think a really positive storyline from this season, which um, I, I certainly coming into the year, I was very nervous about, uh, and maybe felt a degree of resignation that this guy would. Uh, not work out very well um, was Greg Monroe. And when you look at the numbers on Greg Monroe right now, um, he has, ironically, the one thing he has really struggled with has been uh, scoring and, and finishing consistently. Um, you know, he's, he's, but then again, he's still averaging 18.5 uh, points per 36. His numbers are a little bit depressed because he's only playing uh, around 21 minutes a game. But um, pretty much everything else uh, he's doing and he's defending at a much higher level. I think his activity level just seems higher. Um, you know, he's averaging those those crazy preseason steal numbers we joked about uh, have carried over. He's averaging 1.6 steals per game, uh, second behind uh, only Giannis. And he should have um, had two more against Dallas. Like there was, I feel like he there got was screwed. Two, there yeah. was two plays where he had tipped a ball out, and then the Bucks just didn't secure it, and... Again, when when you're talking about a game that was so close, man, like if you if the Bucks are able to come up with a couple of those 50-50 balls that Monroe had created, which is insane for me to say that Monroe is creating 50-50 balls to this defense, but if they come up with some of those balls, maybe the Bucks win that thing in regulation. It, it, it's been startling. His, his defense is light years better. 
Yeah, and you know the overall numbers, even with his uh, scoring efficiency down this year, uh, if you look at the overall game, you know his his points per minute are about the same, um, and his rebounding is is up was way up over last year. His assists per minute are almost double. Um, per 36 right now, 18.5 points, 14.2 rebounds, 5 assists, 2.6 steals, 1.2 blocks. And overall, I mean, he's got a 25.3 PER right now. And, you know, very sneakily uh, is, uh, is is not that far behind those, you know, kind of efficiency metrics that, that matter a lot. His defensive rebound rate is a career high. Uh, almost 29% of all available defensive rebounds he's pulling down. And as you mentioned, the the on-off numbers have, have been impressive as well. Granted, he, you know, he, he, he's been doing it without sharing all these these uh, Giannis minutes like Miles Plumley. Um, but <laughs> Greg on the court, you know, one, 109 uh, offensive rating, 102 defensive rating. 102 defensive rating is very good. Um, granted, they've been, I think, even better with him off the court, but um, I think, you know, bottom line, they've been uh, a clear positive with him on the court. And I think that has, you know, that's a huge boost. I mean, I think that that was the weird thing about this team was you look at their depth and coming into the season, it was like they've got guys coming off the bench. And I don't know if they fit well enough, given, you know, guys like Toledovich and Monroe and you know, if Jabari's holding down second unit minutes as well, like the defensive fit question was really concerning. Um, but give Greg Monroe credit, uh, you know, and it's not to say that he should be playing without, uh, you know, we should just be, you know, keeping Giannis on the bench for long periods. But uh, he's been a big piece of that second unit playing well. Brogdon's been a big piece of that as well. Um, but Greg Monroe, tip of the cap. I mean, he could have pouted. He's not playing that many minutes right now, but... Um, he's playing hard and I, I guess the, you know, I, I think back, was it, I think it was against the Kings where he stole the ball and went like 70 feet mm-hmm. for the breakaway dunk. That, that was kind of the, uh, you know, the runaway moose freight train, uh, synopsis of the season thus far. And, um, it, it's weird. I, I'm not going to lie to you, Eric. Last week, this thought crossed my mind, which, which I did not expect. And that is, man, maybe it would be good if greg monroe opted into his contract next summer um i don't know it's it it, i think it creates like a really fascinating dynamic because all of a sudden um you know it's very obvious the bucks would lose a lot if if they traded him and um not just because of what greg's doing but um maybe not so positively john henson has been i mean the the bucks have been a complete mess with john henson on the court yeah it's it's funny to think i guess like, yeah, I think Greg Monroe is better than Ennis Kantner. I think pretty much. It, would you argue that? Like even last year's I mean, version I, of Greg Monroe. I, I mean, I would want this version of Greg Monroe. I mean, I think the the thing Cantor had going for him was that he was on a good team and he had sort of a clearly defined, more marginal role. Um, but by the same token, like I mean, if the Thunder wanted to trade Cantor, I mean, are there really people that would want to trade Cantor given? You know he's making similar dollars to Greg Monroe, and I think he's got a couple more years left. I mean, I, I I'd rather have Monroe than than Cantor. Yeah, and I like what I was saying was I think even last year's version of Greg Monroe I'd rather have than Ennis Cantor. Yeah, yeah. C- certainly this year's version is is much better than Ennis Cantor. So if <laughs> again I 
I can't imagine if Greg is putting up these type of numbers that he's going to be uh, excited to opt in or wouldn't be able to make some money in the open market because this Greg Monroe, some people could talk themselves into pretty easily. I don't, I don't think it would be uh, very difficult to talk themselves into giving him uh, multiple years and a pretty good sum of money. So, man, that did you just throwing that at me kind of makes me think. Yeah, maybe I'd be okay with uh, with a Greg Monroe opt-in too. Um, and yeah, I would not have thought that a week ago, ten minutes ago. Um, yeah, you're right. Yeah, and I th- it's kind of interesting because I think you'd expect maybe his his uh, scoring efficiency to to bounce back a little bit, uh, but I think the interesting thing will be you know the rebounding numbers are ridiculous right now, the steal numbers are ridiculous right now, um, his assist rate is way higher, so you might expect those things to to kind of regress back to the mean a little bit, but um, you know he was uh, he has obvious skills, uh, especially as a passer. If so he's a willing passer, a- they shouldn't regress. Yeah, because yeah, he's that, that he's that skilled of a passer. Yeah, and that makes a big thing a big difference as well. Um, you know, when you can put shooters around him, uh, which obviously I think is you know again it's it's easier to do that with uh, with without MCW. Um, and granted, not all the guys have shot well so far, but uh, I think certainly in in thesis, uh, it's in theory it's it's interesting uh, to to watch that, and it, and it does make a bit more sense. Um, so I don't know. I think I think yeah. I mean, if you ask me, like, who would I rather trade, John Henson or Greg Monroe? I mean, if you if you want this current version of the team to continue to play the way it has and you know try to make a run, I think certainly John Henson looks far less essential. And um, but again, you know, John Henson's numbers right now. Uh, I mean, the the on off numbers are are pretty absurd. And uh, you know, we'd have to dig into this because he's only played eighty one minutes. But he's, you know, the, the team is scoring 92 points per 100, allowing 110 points more per 100. Um, he is by far the worst uh, in terms of net rating of any guy, any guy on the team. There may be some garbage time minutes skewing that a little bit, but um, it, you know, I think the eye test as well. I mean, I, you know, Henson just, I think, and I don't know if it's just the the, the lack of playing time or what it is, but um, he certainly is not a guy who has looked comfortable. Um, so far, he hasn't rebounded. Actually, he's rebounded well. Um, 19.3% rebound rate is actually quite good, but 43% true shooting um, just does hasn't looked comfortable comfortable at all offensively. And unfortunately, you know that effect that we've seen over multiple years now, where the offense, even though John Henson is not a guy that obviously anybody's leaning on, it, for some reason it just seems like the offense goes in the tank whenever he's on the court. And I don't know if I've ever um, fully been able to reconcile all that with the kind of player he is because again it's not like he's like the offense coming through him or anything yeah uh, the the numbers are currently not kind to john henson uh, it is it is ugly uh the eye test is not kind to john henson right now either it is, it is ugly as well so i mean obviously there's not a ton of rim protection on this roster so if he could start to play better that would be that'd be fantastic and obviously it would be a help and would really, really help the Bucks uh, get better here. But he's been brutal, and it, they've been using him as the closer. He's been closing games and stuff, and it just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, we'll see if that trend continues, because um, certainly 
certainly his play is, is probably, unless you're closing blowouts, um, his, his play is not really justified closing games. Anyway, why don't we put a dot on it there? Um, I, it was fun to be kind of positive, Eric. Yeah. Uh, we should do it. More. Um, and, and it's good to get people forgetting a little bit that, you know, hey, the Mavericks game is not representative of the whole season <laughs> um, or being reminded of that fact. But um, in any case, be sure to follow us on iTunes or however you consume your podcasts. Uh, shoot us a review. Those are always great. We'll try to get to some. Um, this week as well we really appreciate the five star reviews and come back to us tomorrow we'll again be talking milwaukee bucks basketball the only place to find daily milwaukee bucks talk eric i bid you good night listeners thanks so much we will talk to you tomorrow